the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast. How are you? My name is Nick DeGilio. I'm your host. You are listening to the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. By the way, we got a streaming service that you should check out 24-7. Some of the best unheard music, some of the best podcast episodes you will ever hear. Part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Check it out. Live streaming 24-7 like a radio station, only cooler. Radiomisfits.live. Radiomisfits.live. It is episode 160 of the Nick D Podcast, and we are here, and we're going to have uh, a lot of fun on this episode. Uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi are going to join me. It's a big weekend, man. It's Barbie versus Oppenheimer. That whole m- mythical battle between these two movies that couldn't be more different that were suddenly thrust into a media situation where it was Barbieheimer and the battle between Barbie and Oppenheimer and blah, blah, blah. Uh, manufactured uh, by, uh, you know, a, a fake battle manufactured by a jagoff at Warner Brothers and continued uh, to to be hyped by a media, a social media, and everyone involved. And now it's the narrative of two movies that really have no business being discussed together. But because of the media and because of morons at Warner Brothers making this fake competition... Uh, it's now the, is it Barbie or is it Oppenheimer? And some people are going to see both of them and whatever. Uh, we're not really going to talk about that whole made-up, fake sort of battle-slash-competition between the two movies, but we will review them. We have seen Barbie, we have seen Oppenheimer, and uh, those are the two giant movies uh, for this weekend that we will be talking about with Eric and Steve, as we always do review movies every other weekend. Uh, every other week, I should say. Uh, Esmeralda Leon will join me. She is my partner in crime. Uh, we've been talking about bad fast food items for real, so we're going to talk more about that, crazy food items, fast food items. And she got called in for jury duty, so we're going to hear about her adventure, whether she got she had to go into jury duty or whether she just sat there for one day and just waited. But jury duty, everybody's fantastic obligation and honor. So we'll talk about that with Esmeralda and much, much more. If you want to be a part of this podcast, we have a voicemail system that's up and ready to go. It is open 24-7. Anytime you feel the need, the urge, the whatever, call us. Leave a message 24-7 with your questions, your comments, your megaphone requests, your magic megaphone requests, your contributions, anything you want to say at any time during the day or night, 24-7. Leave that voicemail now, 773-417-6948. Drop us an email anytime you want, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to be a sponsor, lots of people listen to this podcast. You should do that. Get in now. Got something you want to advertise with us? You want to be a sponsor of the Nick D Podcast? Say, I want to podca- I want to advertise on this podcast. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Get on that and we'll hook you up. So that's all what's happening here today. Uh, we are doing a live version of this podcast at the Great Flashback Weekend Horror Convention, which is two weeks from today 
it starts. It's August 4th through August 6th at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, uh, one of the most beautiful hotels in the uh, country. And we take it over. The horror fans come in. We've got horror celebrities and actors, actresses, directors, guests. All kinds of amazing people are going to be there. There's a Scream reunion, a Terrifier and Terrifier 2 reunion, a reunion of John Carpenter's Christine. The actual Christine Carr is going to be there. I will be there monitoring and moderating uh, a whole bunch of events, hosting things, doing the Q&A, running around, being in charge of all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, it is one of my favorite weekends ever. It is the highlight of the summer without question. I'm there all weekend. Please come up and say hi. And on Saturday, August 5th at 1230 in the afternoon in the big ballroom, we will be doing the Nick D podcast live, this podcast live. You can be a part of it. We've got T-shirts and other prizes that we're going to be giving away. We're going to be doing some trivia, talking about horror movies and scary stuff, surprise guests. Uh, we'll be jumping up on stage with us, actors, celebrities, and we might get a, a visit from somebody from Berwyn. And that's definitely going to happen. So be there. Uh, come and check out the entire unbelievable festivities, the vendor room where all the celebrities will be signing autographs and taking pictures. Unbelievable merchandise that's available of all kinds from your T-shirts to your posters to your collectibles to your, I mean, candles and artwork and all kinds of amazing horror movie related merchandise that you can go to in the giant vendor room. Sven Gulli's going to be there. Joe Bob Briggs is going to be there. I will be there, Esmeralda will be there, and you will be there, and you will be part of a live podcast recording that will be uh, part of the, uh, it will be an episode. So definitely come out to the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention. Check out the entire convention at flashbackweekend.com, the schedule of events, the incredible concerts, the incredible movies, unbelievable parties and fun and celebrities, and the Nick D podcast again live Saturday, August 5th at 12.30 p.m., in the big ballroom at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. Get your tickets now and let the Nick D fans take over at 1230 in the big ballroom on Saturday, August 5th in the afternoon. I want that place jammed with you. So if you're listening to me, come on out, be a part of the podcast, meet us, get some prizes and some cool stuff and some T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff. It is going to be great. It's going to be great fun filled with celebrities and horror and surprises and me and Esmeralda. Fantastic. Get your tickets now at flashbackweekend.com. And we'll see you all on Saturday, August 5th at 1230 at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. Flashback Horror Convention is uh, every year. It's the highlight of the year for me. I've been, uh, I've been a part of the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention for 21 years now. And it just gets better and better. And uh, we hosted our, we did our, our flashback or we did our uh, podcast, uh, the Nick D podcast live there last year. And it was a great success. A lot of people showed up. We want it to be even bigger and better, and it will be even bigger and better, and you will be there. So flashbackweekend.com for those tickets. Uh -oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. She loves my show. Hi, she I'm does. Carrie I'm Russell, you. and I love Nick's show. All right. Lots of fun stuff coming up uh, uh, You know, as the summer continues. Man, Flashback Weekend is going to be a blast. you got to be there. Esmeralda coming up in a little bit, but right now I'm going to tell you that you need to be congratulated, and then Eric and Steve and I are going to review uh, the big new movies. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackoff.
that song and that theme means it's time to talk about movies, which we do every other Friday here on the Nick T Podcast. My guests are always uh, Eric Children, Steve Procopi, a couple of friends of mine who uh, are movie critics, members of the Chicago Critics, uh, Chicago Film Critics Association. Yeah, that's it. Um, and uh, and have been a part of my show for uh, for a long time when I was back on uh, GN and all that cool stuff. Let's say hello first to Eric Childress. Hello, Eric. Hello. And uh, Steve Procopi. Hello, Steve. Hello there. All right, Eric, tell everybody where they can uh, read your stuff and hear your stuff and podcasts and all that crazy, busy stuff that you've got going. Yes. Uh, well, if you want to read my stuff, uh, every uh, Sunday afternoon, generally Sundays, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, I do a box office column there and break down the numbers every week for everyone. Uh, and then on the podcast side at the Now Playing Network, you can hear me on the Movie Madness podcast, where Steve Procopi is a regular weekly guest, along with Peter Subzinski, who does Blu-rays for us as well. And uh, the Friendship Dilemma podcast that I co-host with Morgan Geyer, uh, where we talk about male and female friendships and why they just can't be platonic in the movies. All right. And that's all there. Uh, yes. And uh, all right, Steve, tell everybody where uh, they can read and hear and see you. Yeah. In, a, in addition to the Movie Madness podcast with Eric, uh, you can read my written reviews at thirdcoastreview.com uh, and uh, and find me frequently at the, uh, at the Music Box Theater where I'm the PR manager. All right, cool. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's a big weekend uh, for movies, or at least that's been the weird Boy. manufactured, been the weird <laughs> manufactured conflict uh, between two movies that really don't have anything to do with each other. Uh, but they were <laughs> slammed together in a weird uh, made up contest and fight between these two movies, uh, invented essentially by a studio that was pissed off at a director. Um, and decided to mess with him. And then that turned into a media circus, and it's turned into Barbie versus Oppenheimer, Barbieheimer, a bunch of memes and a bunch of uh, social media posts and coverage. And now it's this movie against that movie, and which movie are you going to see this weekend, and are you going to go see both, and all this other crap. Well, I, um, I was going to say, I would, I, would, I would argue that, in fact, it's not versus, it's and. Uh, right. it, it it, there is a huge, weird push on social media for people to see both. <laughs> so, uh, which is so unusual. And I, I think that almost uh, in defiance of the f- fucking with that you're talking about by this particular yeah. studio. So anyway, I kind of, well, it's, it's an, kind of it, a weird, it's a weird uh, it situation. Is weird. And it, you know, I mean, obviously, but, but, but again, the thing is, it's like at the end of the, at the end now, now you know, Eric, you obviously cover box office uh, every mm-hmm. week and you look at the box office all the time. It's one of the things that you're an expert at. Um, now, you know, with this whole Warner Brothers manufactures this artificial, you know, competition between these two movies that didn't exist before Warner Brothers decided to fuck with Nolan. Um, now it is a thing. It is a big thing. What I mean, Barbie's going to make more money than Oppenheimer this weekend. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and one, it, because it's aimed at a wider audience. It's a broader appeal. It's a broader certain. appeal. It's rated PG-13. Oppenheimer. Or shorter. Oppenheimer is three hours long and it's rated R. One of them is about uh, a toy that everybody in America knows and everybody has in their home, especially if you have daughters. And the other one is a biopic about the guy who invented the bomb. So clearly, you know, to put these two movies together is an odd thing. But I mean, this this should not be a reflection on Oppenheimer because Barbie makes more money. It's just clearly a much more commercial movie than Oppenheimer. 
Yeah, and like and just to follow up what Steve was saying, like this whole thing that has happened, I don't know, like chicken and the egg kind of thing. What exactly came first? You know, Warner Brothers messing with Nolan or or just scheduling these movies on the same date or whatever. But the, I mean, this is one of these rare instances where social media is not competing these two movies like steve said they are actually right. i mean the nbc did a story yesterday uh, how people are buying tickets to both and doing them back to back in yeah. the same day yeah that's uh, a, sol- which, that's a uh, solid five hour day right there yeah uh, really absolutely and yeah. it's it's really kind of amazing that this is really kind of something more to celebrate than anything and yeah it's yes barbie is going to make more money uh, that's always been in the cards. Uh, now it's just a question of just how much more money based on how the public uh, receives both movies. But uh, I think both of these movies are going to end up being hits overall. Well, and the other thing is, it'd be interesting because here's the thing, though, and we'll get, when we talk about this when we review the movie, uh, Barbie is not what people think it is. And that's, that's you know what I mean? It's not, this is not yeah. a kid's movie. Barbie's not a kid's movie. And I think a lot of people who take like their little kids to it are going to go, what? what the hell? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. But it's not. But it's also not a not a kids movie, and that is like some like very raunchy, you know, kind of um, or, you know, that's not appropriate for kids. There's a couple off color jokes in there. Well, in I mean, there, it's, but they're, it, they're I not going to get those. I think it's properly. I think it's properly rated a PG thirteen. I think it's mm-hmm. definitely a PG thirteen movie. And and I think that like people who are like because I think a lot of people really think this is a kids movie, and they're going to take little teeny kids and little girls to see it. And I think like halfway through they're gonna go, what, what do we, what is this? And I don't know if that's gonna affect word of mouth and box office, you know? Because I think kids right need out, to grow up. Right out of the well, yeah. <laughs> listen, I agree. So do the so do the adults, Steve. So do the but, adults. But I, you know, but I really think that you know, like people who take little kids to this movie are gonna be like, wait a minute, what? Because I think a lot of people don't get what the movie is, and they won't get until they see it. Um, but I think and, it'll have that sort of that same effect that like Pixar movies do in a way, and that the adults will be enjoying this movie much more than the kids might be. I mean, they might be enjoying the big colors and you know some of the goofiness yeah. that goes on in it. But adults are going to get a lot more well, out of this movie than I, the kids will. I totally and then agree they can with teach you. Teach their but, kids. But, well, I mean, but to me, like the Pixar movies uh, are they're kid friendly. I don't think this movie's kid friendly. I think they're. I think it, maybe it's bright and it's colorful and it might be, you know kind of fun to look at for kids, but Pixar movies are aimed at kids. They have material in there that's specifically for children while also entertaining adults. This movie is for adults, and if you take the kids, they might enjoy it. This movie is is for, well, it's for it's mostly, I think, the target audience is and should be adult women. That's the, that's the target audience, and that's the audience that's really going to take this movie and run with it. I, I, I actually think that the, um, oh, the, the like, the number one, like when the social media embarked, you know, in the immediate aftermath of all of us seeing it, I mean, all critics around the country, the number one question I saw from just people reading these posts was, is it safe? Is it good for will kids be OK with yeah. it? Is it is it yeah. that? But so I think there is some awareness now that this might be a little more than they bargained for. But. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, at the same time, well, I, I think anything that's inappropriate for kids is going to go right over their heads, probably. Well, oh, yeah, no, totally. no I, I agree with you. But what I'm saying is, like, I think that that's going to affect the second weekend. I really do. Yeah. I think that I think that like out of the gate, a ton of people are going to go, and a ton of little kids are going to go, and then they are going to tell their friends and like, no, it's not okay for your little kids to see this. They're not going to like it. Like, whereas like a lot of people are comparing it, and I think justifiably, to something like the Lego Movie, which the Lego Movie. Yeah is a kid's movie, yeah. clearly a kid's movie, but 
way sophisticated and a great piece of satire. You know what I mean? And that's what Barbie is. But I think like Barbie to me skewers much more adult than the Lego movie, even though they cover the same sort of satirical comedic ground, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it does to I mean, to an extent, I just I mean, maybe it's just me just being foolishly optimistic on the movie. But I think that the word of mouth on this movie is going to be so tremendous. And maybe that just steers adults yeah. to it. Yeah, but That's I don't I think thinking. it's going. Yeah, yeah well, but I don't think it's going to affect it to the point that people are going to like, oh, I don't think you should take your kids yeah. to see this movie. I, yeah. I, I really don't. I think well, you know, I'm, I'm going to a birthday party this weekend. And uh, uh, parents who have their daughters there, the first thing I'm going to tell them is like, go see Barbie. Yeah. Well, I've already I mean, been it, doing that. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I'll see, see, what, see what you say. But I do think you guys are right about the fact that once people see it, adults see it and tell their adult friends, holy shit, you have to see this movie because it's not at all what anybody kind of thinks it's going to because it's not. At all, what any whatever you sort of preconceived notion you have about a movie called Barbie about the Mattel dolls, that's not what this movie is. No matter what your notion is, <laughs> you know what I mean. That's not, that's not what this is, and it's so anyway. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, um, and you know the fact the fact that uh, maybe social media did something better than than they normally would, where they brought some people together to see these movies. You know, instead of like saying you should see Barbie and not Oppenheimer, or you should see Oppenheimer right. and not Barbie. You know, the, the fact that, that people are actually, um, you know, buying tickets for both of them, that's kind of fun. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, to have this thing, this artificial competition is just weird. And I don't know. I don't know. One of them is a, one of them is a much more commercial movie <laughs> than the other one. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just that simple. I, yeah. I don't know. Just wait until the Oscars next year. Well, yeah, well, I mean, no, it's, it's going to be, I mean, I mean, it's going to be all out. And then it's going to get ugly. Yeah. Then, well, I mean, because Barbie's not going to get, I mean, Barbie will get like a few nominations. It's not going to get Best Picture. Do you think it's going to oh, get Best Picture? Oh, you don't picture? think? No I way. I think it is. No I way. I think it is. Yep. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> I, hey, hey, listen, not, I'm, I, you know, you know how I feel I about know. the movie. So, but, right. um, but okay. I mean, uh, all right. Well, let's get to, let's get to uh, the reviews of the two big ones are, you know, uh, uh, they're completely different movies. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, they're kind of aimed at completely different audiences, but somehow they're lumped together in this fictitious battle uh, that is no longer a battle. But they're out. It's the big weekend for these two big movies. Uh, and so, uh, Eric, why don't you start with uh, with uh, with Oppenheimer? Uh, it was directed by uh, Christopher Nolan, who you kind of enjoy. I do enjoy Mr. Nolan's yes. movies, and uh, and this one is uh, true, obviously a, a true story of J. Robin Oppenheimer, played by uh, Killian Murphy, uh, and the story takes us through the process of him becoming to known as basically the father of the atomic bomb or the atomic era, uh, with the uh, you know the droppings of uh, Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki bombs. Uh, but the film is far more. A, a sort of a fat man and little boy recreation of the actual event. Uh, this movie is uh, a, a biopic on steroids, more or less, uh, taking us through the, the the past leading up to the the event and uh, very key moments that happen afterwards. Uh, the movie, uh, as Nolan is prone to do, uh, shifts through time uh, rapidly. Uh, at one point uh, in 1954, obviously several years after the bomb was dropped, where Oppenheimer is in a hearing 
uh, about uh, possibly renewing or losing his security clearance uh, due to associations that he's had in the past with the Communist Party that is examined throughout the film. Uh, and then another hearing that happens years later after that, in 1958, uh, with Louis Strauss, played by Robert Downey Jr., uh, who is being uh, nominated for Commerce Secretary by Dwight Eisenhower, and how his past affiliations with Oppenheimer might be threatening uh, his appointment there. Uh, but again, Murphy as Oppenheimer, we see him uh, in his days at school, and he's, as the movie shows, he's kind of haunted by uh, theories and ideas that, you know, might be connecting the, the way views matter and all these things. Uh, and we, he, we meet several, several people along the way. There's almost too many people to count in this movie, all the adversaries and allies that he meets along the way. Uh, but one of them, uh, a, a, a psychiatrist, a uh, communist psychiatrist in the Communist Party, played by Florence Pugh, uh, that he has uh, dalliances with in his youth. Uh, he ultimately goes on to uh, marry a woman named, uh, or played by Emily Blunt, uh, who is a thrice-divorced uh, woman, um, him being a part of that uh, uh, scenario. Uh, and she is someone that we see in these hearings later on as well. Uh, his connection with uh, the way that uh, he ultimately, as a teacher, uh, finds his way... Uh... Are you there, Eric? Eric? Oh, I lost him. Uh -oh. oh, there you are. Okay. Oh, You're back. You Hello. All right. Keep going. <laughs> Did we miss were... anything? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Um, but uh, we, so we see Oppenheimer as a teacher uh, who is then recruited by uh, the uh, the military uh, general played by Matt Damon uh, to be to spearhead this project uh, as the rise of fascism and Nazism and as a way to possibly end the war by creating a bomb big enough that will either eliminate their enemies or scare them enough into submission that will send them into retreat. Uh, so I guess there's a lot of story and a lot of uh, story threads and a lot of characters. There's, like I said, there's way too many uh, actors to mention. I'm sure some of you, you'll get to a few of them. Uh, but uh, Nolan, like I said, has played with time in the past and has even uh, talked about uh, or dealt with stories that have hinted at the potential end of the world. Um, and he's done so mostly in fantasy, but here in the real world and telling Oppenheimer's story as this sort of this pivotal moment in time where it was basically the world before the bomb and the world after the bomb. Uh, and the story, while uh, obviously the centerpiece sequence of this is the, the Trinity test, not the actual uh, bombing uh, of Japan, uh, which I think is a, a very tasteful, wise choice uh, by Nolan. Because you can imagine that someone like Michael Bay or someone would have been just jerking off at the opportunity to show the destruction that these bombs uh, actually uh, committed. Nolan takes a, a much more tactful way of doing this and actually shows part of Oppenheimer's uh, psyche in this scene after the bomb where people are cheering him on and the way that that sequence is presented uh, gives us everything we need to know about how he feels about what he has uh, accomplished. Uh, and the stuff that goes on uh, mostly, you know, before and after that we see uh, flashback and whatnot uh, is a reminder, you know, that this is a story about the egos of men and the way that uh, political interference and science uh, are not exactly great mixes. Uh, this is a way of 
commenting on the present as well as the, the current present uh, political uh, situation, uh, along with everything that had gone on by there. And a reminder of the old adage that those who uh, fail to know their history are doomed to repeat it. And that seems to be exactly where we are uh, today. Uh, this movie is just, it's so, it's brilliantly edited. It is a dizzying, propulsive history lesson. Uh, so many way, so many other filmmakers would have taken this and made a, such a very dry biopic uh, story with a, with a point to it. But this one is just a, a constant uh, propulsive measure. It reminded me a lot of uh, Oliver Stone's films from the 1990s, uh, movies like JFK and Nixon uh, that I very much admire. And this very much feels could fit right into that wheelhouse. Uh, you would almost be surprised if Oliver Stone didn't direct this, uh, given that there are conspiracies and things that happen <laughs> within it. Uh, I was reminded a lot of JFK during it. Uh, but uh, everything about this movie works for me. I can't wait to see it a second time. Uh, Murphy is so very good. Downey is great. Uh, Emily Blunt, uh, who you know seems to be almost like a background player a lot throughout the movie, uh, loose in this hearing with a late scene that I think is going to earn her an Oscar nomination. Uh, I, I can't wait to see this movie again. It's almost so much for a single viewing that even reviewing it right now seems like a fool's errand. Uh, but uh, I will be seeing it a second time and probably even more than that. Uh, yeah, I do enjoy Nolan's movies and uh, this one I enjoy very much as well. All right, Steve. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy most of them. Although I, what's interesting is that the, the things that I often have, issues with in his film and and which having to do with his his handling of like more emotional material um seems to be remedied in this film and maybe it's just because of the actors that he's using here uh but especially in the last hour of the film uh because the trinity test takes place at exactly the two hour mark in this film i, I looked at my watch to see how far into this movie are we and the whole last third of the film is is like an emotional horror show for Oppenheimer because he's dealing with the the repercussions and and a form of like PTSD of the of what he has unleashed and the destruction and the like harm and the death and it's haunting him into the later years of his life and I think that Killian Murphy really does a magnificent job um sort of dealing with that and like handling that material um, just going back to the beginning, I, I mean, the, the film is sometimes like watching a history textbook, though, or a very lengthy biography. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I feel like there's so much material and there's so many characters in this film. You kind of have to handle it like that to a certain degree. But at the same time, it's sprawling. It's visually engrossing. Um, and it's this really hard lesson about technology and innovation and American hubris and egos run amok. And... If there is a, I, I hate to be the one to do this, if there is a connective tissue between this film and Barbie, it's that it also deals with how petty and vindictive men can be when their pride is wounded. And, um, and like, I, you know, and that, that really kind of, if you really think about it, like so much of the back half of Oppenheimer's life and all the stuff with Strauss and, and played by Downey, um, it's, it's just a, it's just a vindictive play and it's, it's like it's a long stretched out you know play but it's it's kind of crazy that's what it all boils down to and um i was also i also felt like for oppenheimer is 
might be one of Nolan's most personal films because a lot of the criticism that is sometimes heaped on his films about being like almost academic quality, even the handling of like fantasy stuff is more like academic. And sometimes you feel like some of his movies need to come with like a mandatory discussion group after each screening like that, like Oppenheimer kind of dealt with some of that too. And that this idea that, that if you're given a great deal of power or if you're considered like extremely talented, you can get away with more and you can like, or you can be your, somehow your behavior is excused, whether it's professional or otherwise. Um, yeah. I mean, like Oppenheimer was a, was a flagrant womanizer and yet it was just kind of like, yeah, that's just, that's just him. That's just how it is. Um, so, yeah. And, and like, you know, like, and I said, Nolan gets excused sometimes, even though he's been accused of like being overly intellectual or self-indulgent or whatever. But, you know, in both cases, I think the admirers outweigh in the are, are very vocal and they're very devoted. And so we hear them more and they're more of apologists. Um, I also um, I also think the film at about the one hour mark is when the Matt Damon character um who plays General Leslie Groves, who was the director of the Manhattan Project. When he enters the picture, I think the film, become, just because it's like Matt Damon makes things understandable when he talks, like somehow, and he did the same thing in Air. It's like he just, he just explains things in a way, and this character's not supposed to be some Luddite, like military guy. He's like a smart guy, but he still needs things sort of explained to him, and that way we get it explained to us. And I think that really helps carry the film through some of the more technical aspects. Um, I, I think perhaps some knowledge of, of Oppenheimer's history might help if you going into this, but I don't think it's essential. This might be, might even better be served as a jumping off point. If you're interested in, in this material. Um, I don't think, I know one of the early criticisms when the trailers came out was that the film was going to be somehow, um, celebratory of this destructive power the definitely not the case um i i don't think the film is i think it's mu it's less about an enigmatic figure and more about a guy driven by multiple and sometimes conflicting passions um and i like again i like that aspect of it he, he was a contradictory guy uh, he didn't often feel the need to defend himself, and so that makes him a little frustrating. There's, it's entirely possible people are going to come out of this movie really not liking this this character or this this person, um, and not just because he he in, you know had a crucial role in creating the atomic bomb, but um, he just kind of is a dick. So, um, but I think Murphy and Downey are extraordinary in these roles. I think Nolan seems focused and really connected to the material. And he's at the top of his game as an artist. I mean, he is one of the only people. He's almost like a one-man cheerleading section for large format filmmaking. And it really comes across in this movie. We all saw this in 70 millimeter, and I thought it looked incredible. Um, and and like like I've said before, while I, I've definitely been one of the people that has accused Nolan of kind of flopping when it comes to directing emotion in some films. Here, it's like a dominant presence, and it's handled beautifully. Um, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, like like Nick said earlier, I'm not sure the rest of the world is ready for a three-hour R-rated, very grown-up film in the heart of the summer. But I was. So anyway, yeah, I love this movie. 
All right, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna go into it because I, because I, <laughs> I'd rather talk about a movie that I liked rather than bitch about a movie that I thought sucked. So I'm not gonna talk about it. Honestly, I'm not. Uh, I was told sometimes I should just say something nice, so I will say something nice. James Remar's in it. I'm done talking about it. Let's move on. Uh, Steve, <laughs> tell us about Barbie. Uh, all right. Um, all right. So I mean, just just first of all, just consider that Greta Gerwig as a filmmaker has made three movies like ladybird little women and now barbie that's as good a track record as like i can imagine right now and i i mean and, and this is this sort of set this is the first time she's had like a ton of money to work with and i i mean it's it's pretty incredible what she's come up with and what she, and in a lot of ways what she and her writing partner and life partner noah bombeck have gotten away with um and yet it, it manages to do something that I think a lot of other films uh, that have this sort of launching off point in terms of the IP or the just the source material, they've basically taken, they've created a cohesive narrative around a children's toy that doesn't have a story. Because um, at least like something like, I don't know, I'm just picking like Transformers, something like that. At least there are like some stories involved there that they can translate to the big screen. This is just dolls and then it's, it's it's accessories and it's you know playmates and all that other stuff um instilling instead of telling people what this film isn't uh let's talk about what it is it's subversive it's satirical it's surreal it's self-aware i don't mean to begin everything with s's it's savage and it's a genuinely <laughs> it's genuinely angry film about roles women assume in the real world either because of or in spite of toys like barbie dolls um Barbie Land, which is where we kind of get introduced to this, is a fake society, but it's ruled by women, uh, where the men, the Kens, mostly Kens, are effectively there to make the women look good and seek their approval. Um, it is it is bizarro world. It is, it, and the fact that we see that right away is kind of depressing. But um, so after more than a, after some world building, the, the the film's plot kind of kicks in where stereotypical Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, starts noticing that her life isn't quite so perfect. Uh, the first bits of a sort of an existential crisis creep into her blonde, uh, bedazzled existence. And um, and so she she starts to think about things that Barbies aren't supposed to think about, and it, and it makes her physically and emotionally less perfect, and it's really upsetting. And so... She goes to see a character named, known as Weird Barbie, uh, played by Kate McKinnon. She's basically the Barbie that gets overplayed with and, and abused. Uh, and then um, and then later, sort of stereotypical Barbie and Ken, who kind of stows away in her dream car, off. That she recommends to go off to the real world to see who is playing with Barbie that is making her feel this way. So they, they're, again, self-aware. Like, it, it it's the self-awareness, I think, that really kind of knocked me out. And and I'm really just, at every turn, I was shocked that Mattel, like, allowed this <laughs> kind of film to get made. And and sure enough, that's, that's actually where Barbie is headed. She's going to Mattel to sort of figure out what's going on. Um, and, of course, it's in Los Angeles. I don't even know if the real Mattel is in Los Angeles, but... Uh, here it is. Um, so, so to, to to see if they can find the person playing with her and then repair this apparently broken bond between them. Um, and in L.A., she she meets Gloria, who's played by America Ferrara, 
and her daughter Sasha, played by Ariana Greenblatt, uh, who have been sort of struggling in their own lives and impacting Barbie's uh, demeanor, I guess. And um, so Gloria happens to work for Mattel, uh, whose entire creative team uh, and leadership are men, led by Will Ferrell, um, who soon sort of get intel that Barbie and Ken have escaped and need to be captured and put back in a box, sent back to Barbie land. Um, meanwhile, Ken is sort of having his own story away from Barbie, where he is being made aware uh, for, 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 I was about to say for better or worse, but it's definitely for worse, um, <laughs> where that men actually rule the real world. And he, he kind of learns some of these lessons backwards and maybe in the wrong context, but he basically takes these lessons back to Barbie land and before Barbie even gets back there, completely restructures Barbie land and and brainwashes all the Barbies to basically serve the Kens. And um, so so I mean, it's I mean, Robbie and Gosling are about as committed to this concept as any two actors I've ever seen. They just throw themselves into this no matter how ridiculous or insensitive or overly sensitive uh, they look. Um, the film is about transformation. It's about sort of claiming one's path in life. Um, it's about changing what we can and advocating for change where we should. Um, it's about legacy and intention and how much uh, we can control in either of those realms, which isn't necessarily always in our control. Um, it's about, about the power of the individual within a community and the power of the community to shape the individual. Um, there, there is a there is a monologue that America, America Ferrara gives about women's role in the world, um, and not just their role, but their like how they should be need to like are perceived in the world and how they should be perceived and how unfair that is. Um, it's it's her, you know, if she if she gets a, a supporting actor actress nomination, that's the clip they're going to show. Um, and they'll probably show it anyway if the if the if the movie does get a, a, a best picture nomination. But um, you know, it's a, it's about how fashions and toys and and politicians and corporations come and go. But if Barbie uh, can teach us anything, it's about how to we can adapt to a passing fad and admit that we've made a mistake. Uh, and you know, believe me, the Barbie that grows her the, whose boobs can grow definitely was a mistake. Uh, yeah, that's, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of mistake Barbies in this. In this, uh, and, and they're all real, this. by the way. And they're all real. Oh they yeah, yeah. Real oh, well, we, yeah. We get a we get a nice montage at the end yep. of the actual yep. real toys. But yes, um, but there. I mean, there's more famous faces in this, and I even want to mention. I'll I will call out. Um, I think there's there's an. It's funny. There's an actress in this who's one of the primary Barbies uh, played by Emma Mackey. She's a British actress. She, I have always said she like, even before I knew she was in this movie, I'm like, she could be um, Margot Robbie's like brunette sister. They look exactly the same. And when I heard she was cast in this, I was so excited and she's very good in the film. Um, I can't believe that the guy who played Malcolm X in One Night in Miami is one of the Kens. That just cracks yeah. me up. He's about to play Bob Marley in a movie too. So like, um, I also really liked, uh, there's a brief, I don't want to say who who she is, but like Rhea Perlman has a really nice, a couple of moments in this movie. I think Issa Rae as President Barbie is really funny. Um, 
I did not even realize that the the Midge character, who's the pregnant Barbie, was played by Emerald Fennel, the uh, <laughs> the actress. The I mean, she's an actress, but she's also the filmmaker that made uh, most prom. What is it? Most promising. Prom promising young woman. Promising, promising young, young woman. woman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which right. I I did not know she was in this. Chris Evans' brother is in this. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a crazy mix of really fun actors. Um, yeah, I mean, this there's really nothing to dislike it. The, you know, if I was going to say one slightly negative thing about it, I think my only problem with the film is that Ken takes over a little too much. And I say that with full acknowledgement that Ryan Gosling is one of the best things in this movie, without a doubt. But much like, you know, but it, it seems kind of strange that there's so much Ken in this. But, I mean, when you see what he's doing... And you see the the like I said the level of commitment he puts into this role, you want more of him. And and I and I, but I don't also don't want Ken to take over a Barbie movie. So, uh, but it's so it's 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 mixed. That part I'm conflicted on because I loved him. Um, but anyway, that's a small complaint. Um, but yes, it it is it is a phenomenal, very fun, and I and I honestly think. Um, this this film might send a lot of little girls like into adulthood. <laughs> it was very safe, in safe hands. So, yeah, okay. great movie. Eric Barbie. Uh, you know, if you had told me, you know, months or even years ago that someday I might like a Barbie movie more than a new Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie, I'd tell you you were out of your mind. And yet we are kind of here at at this point. I mean, this is the funniest movie of the year. And Nick, you can attest to this that you know, we were all sitting together at the press yeah. screening yes, the other sir. night. Yes, and I don't think that I've heard a critic section laughing louder <laughs> yeah. than the audience since the Looney Tunes movie that we yeah. saw years ago, Joe Dante's yeah. Looney Tunes movie. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. we embarrassed and ourselves way, laughing. Yeah, and you know, by the way, and that seems the same tone. I mean, it's the same yes. kind of thing. You know what I mean? We were laughing. 100%. At the, I mean, that's that's the kind of movie that, yes, we were laughing at for the same reasons that we were laughing at this. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I was thinking about that during the movie. Uh, obviously, Lego movie comes up. But also, I think, I mean, Gregory, I think, is a big fan of the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. Uh, because the, the whole concept of what Ken ends up doing is very Back to the Future part two. Absolutely. When he... When he you know, and that's yeah. such an amazing yeah. kind of context. And but the thing that's so great about this, because I stopped watching a lot of the pre uh, previews and the trailers that kept coming out, because I kind of felt they were giving away too much. Yeah. And having watched the the most recent trailer again after seeing this, I'm like, they did a magnificent job hiding so much in mm -hmm. this movie because this movie constantly is reinventing itself uh which is one of the many several messages i think the movie is, comes across in this and that it is constantly surprising you and is constantly taking you down roads that you didn't think the movie might not have had the guts to do uh and they don't skimp on it either when they when they go down a road they go full <laughs> down the road and they let you uh, enjoy where it's taking you and then it makes a turn and it then it goes down that road and every single road it does is amazing. It doesn't just end in some goofy food fight. It throws in a musical number for good measure. Then there's a whole you know climax that uh, you know b boosted off of that America Ferrara speech that you know turns it almost like a weird heist movie kind of thing with all the, a con artist movie with all these people playing their own roles in Barbie Land. And I mean, I mean, every minute 
in this movie has a big laugh and there are huge laughs peppered in to those big laughs throughout the whole thing. Uh, I think that I mean, everyone in the cast is playing their roles to a T. Margot Robbie is great. It it the it is going to be this weird ironic thing that Ryan Gosling is going to get the share of the acting praise in this because of the performance that he gives in this. Uh, and if he ends up with an Oscar nomination, he might be the only actor who gets an Oscar nomination for this yeah. movie, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is which again will be a, its own weird thing, but. Uh, th- this movie is so inventive. It is so enjoyable to watch. Uh, I-, I haven't laughed that loudly at a movie in some time. There are uh, Helen Mirren has a voiceover moment about two thirds <laughs> through this movie. Yeah. That is one of the funniest yeah. lines yep. you hear all year. Yep. And then the final line of the movie Unbelievable. deserves to go in like like film history as one of the great final lines. Uh, for all of its implications and what it what it what's saying at the end of it is just so magnificent. It's funny, I, you know what you know what movie, yeah. Eric? You know what movie it reminded me of that final line because mm. the, the the final line of the movie, I just like fell out of my chair. I yes. was like, I you, it's I, I, fucking hilarious. It's awesome. And here's what weirdly popped into my head as as mm. like punch final line, great final line, hilarious final line, eyes wide shut. It I, like the first thing <laughs> I thought of. I'm not, and I'm not well, kidding. I'm same not ballpark. Kidding. Yeah, and I'm not kidding. Like when 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 that line happened, like literally 15 seconds later, I'm like fucking eyes wide shut, man. And uh, yeah, and, and it's got that kind of punch to it. And it and and in the context yeah. of the movie, in the context of the movie, it completely sums everything up. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, I don't know. And, let, and just for for the kids that are listening to the show today, uh, yeah. let and the or parents, let's just say that the rest of the movie is very much not like eyes wide shut. Let's just throw <laughs> that out there. No, it's for not for everyone. It's not. Uh, just, just want to be very clear it's about not. that. No, it's not. Uh, but it is. But it, both are beautifully filmed uh, and are very uh, subversively funny. So yeah, and and, I, and 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 the male lead goes through a, uh, an adventure. So that uh, oh, like he certainly changing. does. <laughs> yes. And it's all. And when both movies are about male ego yep, and what exactly. they. Yep. I mean, it's, oh my god, this movie is eyes wide. Greta Gerwig made eyes wide shut for kids. Okay, uh, maybe it is. Eyes uh, wide shut. Back to the Future too. Yeah, there it the, is. I dude. mean, listen, listen to the way we're talking about this movie. It's a Barbie for God's sake, yeah. and Greta Gerwig has made a, like a little comedic masterpiece here. Uh, this is one of the best movies of the year. It's going to be very hard to knock uh, this off my top ten list. Uh, I love Barbie. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you guys know how I feel about this movie. It's uh, for my, for, for, at this point, it's my favorite film of the year. I, I uh, and I was looking forward to it. I was loving. I love Greta Gerwig, and I love her other movies. I love her as an actress. I think she's a terrific writer and a great director. And this, to me, is like like of the three big movies that she's directed. She co-directed a little movie with uh, Swanberg. Um, Mm-hmm. A bunch of nights and ago. weekends. Yeah, nights and weekends. It's a terrific movie. Uh, but like yeah. her, th- her three solo movies are tremendous. I mean, you know, her her Little Women. I think is the best film adaptation of that of that book. I think it's great. And I mean, come on, Lady Bird rules. One of the greatest movies ever made about uh, mother daughter relationships and being a being a young girl. But this is her masterpiece, and she's you know she's only three in, and she's made like I think an extraordinarily important movie. Uh, an unbelievably funny and potent satire, very subversive film. Um, and I, I I knew it was going to be like this. Like when I went in, as soon as I saw the first trailers for this movie, I'm like, man, this is going to be, and it was exactly what I wanted it to be, exactly what I expected it to be, only more. There was even more, like I, it was even more than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was going to be smart and satiric and subversive. And it was even more of those things multiplied by a thousand. I loved this movie. And as you mentioned, there were about six of us sitting in a row 
in that theater, and we were scream laughing through the entire <laughs> through the entire movie. Uh, you know, I mean, we talked about Eyes Wide Shut. The opening of this movie is a, is a complete uh, takeoff of 2001. There's Kubrick all over it, and so I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just I, I'm telling you, man. And um, and that you you mentioned the monologue, Steve. That monologue that America Ferrera yeah. has. Uh, is one of the best monologues uh, of the past, I don't know, 20 years, and one of the most important monologues, and a monologue that should inspire uh, applause after. I mean, I was tempted to applaud afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is that good a monologue, and it's about so much. And this movie is told from from a very powerful and very pointed female point of view, and Greta Gerwig's other two movies work that way as well. She's got a very specific viewpoint, and she examines it, and... It, this movie says more about the place that women have in this world and the struggles that they go through and the acceptance of that kind of shit more than any other movie. And it's a movie about a goddamn doll. And then on <laughs> top of all of that, it's just funny as hell. And God damn it, the production design, the art direction, um, the, the, the costumes, it's so beautiful. Music. And, and the music, it's music. so surreal. <laughs> The musical, Mark Ronson did the music, and he wrote the song, uh, I'm Just Ken, which is, God damn it, if that doesn't get nominated for Best Original Song. I mean, come on. And that musical number is spectacular. Um, and everybody in it, all the women as the Barbies in the real, you know, in the, and, and the, woman, the women in the real world, and America Ferrera is fantastic. And uh, Ariana Greenblatt is, is awesome, and their relationship is great. The, the message of this movie is pro-feminism, and, it's, and, it, and it really does, you know, I mean, what it does share with Oppenheimer, as you mentioned, Steve, is this male ego kind of a thing, examining, you know, uh, you know, male masculinity. And that's what this movie does, especially especially when they get back and it's not Barbie land anymore and it's Ken land. <laughs> um, and the stuff in that section where they take over, I've not laughed. I don't <laughs> like what he does to the yep. dream house, how he turns. The, I mean, I can't even get, I mean, the specific setups in this movie are so imaginative. They're so original and they're so funny and they, they make a universal point. Um, a, a feminist point, a political point. This is an important movie. It really is, satirically. I know that sounds ridiculous, but this is an important satire, a brutal one with a lot of, uh, with a lot of really kick to it and a lot of balls to it, no pun intended. Um, and, and the performances are just spectacular. Kate McKinnon is unbelievable. It is, the, it is yeah. the best cast that she's ever been. Like, this part was meant for Kate McKinnon. You know, and I've yeah. loved her in a lot of stuff, but sometimes she does that weird shit and it's just Kate McKinnon being weird. This was Kate McKinnon. This part was, it's, it, it, it's the quintessential role for Kate McKinnon, and she runs with it, as everybody does. Margot Robbie, obviously, is spectacular in the lead, and, and, and so many other great performances. But my God, man, and I know it's not Ken's movie, it's called Barbie, but God damn it, <laughs> Ryan Gosling is unbelievable in this movie. It is a spectacular, brilliant comedic performance that is some of the stuff he does, the little things. I mean, the eye movement, everything. Everything he does, every weird choice he makes, the subtlety to the over-the-top stuff, to the Jerry Lewis physicality of it, uh, the singing, the dancing, the sadness, the happiness. He, it is one of the best comedic performances I've ever seen. Um, and it's just one of dozens of great performances. I mean, Will Ferrell, hilarious. And as so you mentioned- good. So and fun. as you mentioned, the fact that Mattel went along with this and has the kind of sense of humor that they have <laughs> about acknowledging how really dangerously stupid some of these toys were and how idiotic. I mean, the whole uh, the, and they, oh, they at one point, Will Ferrell says, 
Yeah, we've had uh, uh, women in power here at the company. We had one here and one, and there were two. And that's actually true. Like it's, <laughs> like, it's actually true that they've only had, like, one woman CEO or two people in power positions. And, and Mattel's like, yeah, that's true, but put it in the movie and make fun of it. That's fine. <laughs> Um, and, and again, now the payoff will be because they're going to sell millions of merch. You know what I mean? Like, so Mattel oh, yeah. is going to make a ton of money. But the fact that they had a, a great enough sense of humor to allow Mattel to be made fun of incessantly in this movie is pretty cool on their part for a big corporation. So and not not just make fun, of, but there we speaking of monologues. There's a monologue yeah. by Ariana Greenblatt where she yeah. rips apart the concept of Barbie. And yeah. I'm like, that's the scene where I was like, wow, Mattel is just yeah. going for it, man. Like Absolutely. That's, it's a brutal takedown yeah. of that whole industry. And um, yeah, man. it's, it's <laughs> almost as good as, as the other monologue, to no, be honest. It, so. it is. I mean, you know, this is a brilliant <laughs> script. She and uh, Greta Gerwig and, and, and Noah Baumbach have wrote a great script. It's a great piece of satire. Yeah. It should be nominated for original screenplay. Uh, there's no question about it. And I think it should win at the, at this point. I mean, I haven't seen everything. So wait, Eric, would this count as original mm -hmm. or is it? I adapted? thought about that on the way home. Because yeah, Barbie, Barbie, Barbie is talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't care I, what I category it's in. It, uh, you know. You yeah, know. It's, it might be one of those weird things that falls through a crack, a loophole or something like that, that it's yeah. not technically based on anything published. But yet at the mm -hmm. same time, all these characters did exist at some point. They so did. I think it does yeah. have to be yeah. adapted. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is going to put it up against Oppenheimer for screenplay. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. what, what Steve was Steve was just saying there about the idea of uh, the the Greenblatt um, uh, monologue that she gives. Yeah. I've, I've seen some people already start to say like the movie pulls its punches a little bit. But I'm just I, I want to remind people that two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. That Barbies can be an inspirational thing for little girls because about the, the power of imagination. And like yeah, Steve yeah. said, they yeah. don't they don't have a story, so they could be whatever you want them to be. Right. You know, which should be the message for little girls growing up to be women. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's a there's a falsehood yeah. to it because yeah. it's a false representation of the real world, mm -hmm. and that can be harmful. So these two things can be true, and the fact that the movie presents both of them with equal weight is not pulling its punches. No, it's not. It's mm -hmm. it's no, it's not. It's being thorough. <laughs> I mean, right. that's what it is. It's being thorough, and it's also Greta Gerwig loved <laughs> loved Barbies. She had Barbies. She loved them. It was a positive experience for her to have a Barbie, and yet she criticizes the the, the toy and goes through what what uh, what the world has done to it and how we've interpreted it and how that has interpreted the way people treat and and regard women that's what the movie's about and it's a potent beautiful brilliant satire it's got teeth and it's it's i mean it's a movie that goes far beyond uh, what I thought it was gonna, what I thought it was gonna do, and I thought it was gonna do a lot. <laughs> so, so like my expectations were through the roof, and they were it was even better than my expectations. I fucking loved this movie. Um, so Barbie, God, it's so goddamn good. All right, uh, okay, really, really, was not really gonna have a, a, a quick time, Eric. Uh, yeah. Really quickly, quick summation: what you thought of theater camp, uh, and you, Steve, and then I'll go. Um, this played at um, the Chicago Critics Festival. That's where I saw it, at least, uh, back in May. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Eric, theater camp. Yeah, this is a movie that played Sundance and closed our, our festival. And uh, prior to this past Monday, I would have told you that this is the funniest film of 2023. Um, I still think it's the second funniest film of 2023 after Barbie, and that's, that's still pretty high praise for me. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 uh, co-directed and written by uh, Molly Gordon. Uh, she co-stars in the movie with Ben Platt uh, as two people who are in charge of this theater camp for young kids to come and learn all about theater production and 
acting and behind the scenes stuff. And it's it's presented in a mockumentary kind of way with a there's a competing uh, theater camp and the 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 head of this has fallen into a coma, so her son has to take over, and so they basically have to you know rise to the occasion and do something really great, or they're going to lose the camp forever. You know that old chestnut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the story about. Uh, you know all these kids and in a mockumentary kind of way it's having fun with the the whole thing uh platt and gordon are the ones designing this show that they would have to create at the end of the year and to me i this is a movie that i said at sundance this year i laughed every minute of this movie something some character is doing whether it's vocal or just uh something they were doing uh physically made me laugh uh Fans of the Bear right now will can see Molly Gordon and Ayo Adebiri in this, who is also very funny in, in a smaller role. Uh, I just laughed all the way through this movie. I haven't seen it since Sundance, so I want to see if it holds up a second time as, as mm-hmm. just as well. Uh, but I loved Theater Camp. Okay, Steve, what about you? Uh, my my biggest issue with the film is that I never laughed. Uh, and it's so I I was kind of miserable watching this movie, and I I mean it's wild because, and but I and I've said I feel like I've been reviewing this movie for six months, but I I I will say that like that being said, the final musical production and that's a fairly sizable portion of the film. I think that's fantastic. I didn't think it was necessarily funny, but it's like as a theater going as a musical experience it pulls together like notes from throughout the rest of the movie in a really wonderful very like, kind of genius way. But yeah, that was like just a little too little too late. I, I'm yeah. why I didn't respond because like I spent, you know, three of my four years in high school working on productions just like that. And I, and so like, I knew these people, but I didn't feel like I recognized any of these characters. So yeah, I did not respond to this. I didn't, uh, I didn't quite dislike it as much as you did, Steve. And I didn't like it as much. Uh, as you did, Eric. I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, but there are a lot of, for, for, for theater geeks and people who have worked on theater, there are a lot of great jokes uh, in it, a lot of funny stuff in it. I don't think it's great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I laughed. Uh, I laughed, uh, you know, a, a, a few times. But I will tell you this. The most consistently funny stuff in the movie for me are the stage manager jokes and, are, are, and uh, <laughs> are the jokes about the stage managers and all the characters who are stage managers because stage managers are my favorite people in theater. I love them. And as a person who's directed a lot of shows, if you don't have a good stage manager, you have a shitty show. That's all there is to it. And I love stage managers. And I knew every one of them in this movie. That was the, that was the thing. <laughs> the stage manager stuff, they knocked it out of the park. So, uh, But that's opening. Uh, that opens today as well. And then there's a, a smaller movie called Earth Mama, which I really liked a lot. Steve, I know you liked it too. Loved it. Loved it. And, yeah, it's, and, it's weird. It's kind of cut from the same cloth as 1001 for me. Yeah. Totally yeah. different stories, but really... Yeah kind of that same just like here's what it's like to be like a young black woman in america right now well it, i guess yeah they're, they're in different yeah. time periods but yeah, yeah still just staggering and, from this and, newcomer savannah lee yeah, yeah. And, and yeah and again uh, uh anchored by a remarkable lead performance uh both of them that what did you think of earth mama eric I liked it, I, and I especially like the scenes that have her dealing personally with the, the not with the with her not just her own body, uh, but with the children. Uh, the the scenes yeah. with the children. There's a yeah, scene yeah. in the movie where she just is just reading with the children. Yeah, that moved me almost to tears. It just yeah. it was really beautiful. Uh, some of the other stuff I think is a little over not over the top. Over the top's not the word, but a little. Yeah obvious but i liked it i liked, I liked it a lot scenes. uh and it's playing uh for those people who want to see it it's playing at the uh siskel center downtown mm-hmm. uh at the gene siskel center i think it's going to be streaming soon as well theater camp is playing everywhere and obviously barbie and oppenheimer you can't miss those so there you go 
All right. Uh, now, listen, next time, uh, Eric, we're going to take a week off with you uh, the okay. next time because Steve and I are going to do a special like preview of Flashback. Uh, okay. Because the next time that we are the next time that we are scheduled to be together is right right on the weekend of Flashback weekend. So Steve and I are mm-hmm. just going to do a, a special Flashback uh, recurrence, and then we'll be back a couple of weeks after that. All right, Eric. Okay, sounds All good. Right. And Steve, you and I, we will talk in a couple of weeks. Uh, so with so our... no Meg Two review. Sorry. No. Guys. Me- <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that we're only that's the only thing we're missing is Meg Two. We're not missing anything else. So there's nothing. There's nothing else. Problemista. I think Problemista is coming out. Um, uh, I think it's the it's next the turtles week. Movie I think the only turtle, yeah. Oh, Ninja the turtles, turtles movie. Yeah, the t- yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Well, we'll we'll jump into that the next time. All right, Eric, uh, Steve, <laughs> okay. thank you guys very much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah. See Sounds you guys. Good. See you later. All right. That's Eric. That's Steve. That's the movies. Let's say hello to uh, Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda. I'm talking about that Esmeralda. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some asthma. Love me some asthma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah. That theme means only one thing. It's time to talk to Esmeralda Leon, who joins me uh, every episode here on the Nick D Podcast. Hello, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, excited about, uh, you got anything happening for the weekend? Any plans for the weekend? Uh, I will be going to Pitchfork Festival. Oh, who are you seeing? What, are there, is there any band particularly, that, bands that you're looking forward to? Uh, not really. No. <laughs> I just go and go hang out. Um, I believe Friday. Uh, I didn't know this until I was listening to a playlist of Pitchfork artists because I was like, I don't really know anybody. Um, and I heard one, one band, and I was like, okay, they sound radio heady. Uh, it turns out it's pretty much Radiohead. Oh, it is. <laughs> uh, it's called the smile and it is uh members of radiohead that aren't yeah tom york. it's members of radiohead <laughs> that aren't that aren't tom york so no 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 it is it's tom york oh tom york uh, is in the band oh no shit yeah. really okay <laughs> and i was like oh that's why they sound like radiohead oh okay <laughs> so right. that'll be that'll be fun i've never seen radiohead in any form so yeah. it'll be interesting to go see them i did many years ago before they were radiohead I mean, they were Radiohead, but before they were Radiohead, you know, where they would like mm, like yeah, millions yeah. of people. Uh, I saw him very early on in their career, um, and uh, I wonder if he will do anything from the Suspiria soundtrack because you know he did the music for uh, the remake of Suspiria. Oh yeah, Tom York did, and uh, yeah, I mean the title track from Suspiria is a really cool song. Um, so I don't know. Well, that's fun. The smile. All right. Well, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm just I don't know what the kids are listening to nowadays. As I didn't I... know that they were. I thought Radiohead was still Radiohead, but yeah. I guess they've gone off to form a little other thing to do other okay. things. All right. Well, Tom York, he's everywhere. That guy's everywhere. All right. Well, there you go. So there was so the Pitchfork, and that's a three day. Is it? Uh, f- mm-hmm. It's a it's Friday through Sunday. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, uh, I, I, there's supposed to be a little rain on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yes, but otherwise I think um, it should be okay. And, uh, by the way, um, 
You'll be at Pitchfork. I'll be at on Saturday. I'll be at the, I'll be at the little Tinley Village. The oh, whatever the hell yeah. it, whatever the hell it's called now. Uh, Tweeter World First Credit Village, Card Village Twitter. Hollywood <laughs> Casino Village. Uh, yeah, Foreigner and uh, and uh, Loverboy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. You gonna wear a, yeah. you wear a little bandana. I gotta wear a bandana and I gotta wear Loverboy. red leather red leather yeah. pants. I gotta wear that. It's one of my favorite album covers of all time. Is like, it's it's Loverboy's "Get Lucky." Yeah. And uh, the album is a close up of 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 a of, of of a man's ass in tight red leather pants. With his uh, fingers crossed for good luck behind him, because he's gonna get lucky. He's gonna get laid. Is this um, anyone from the band, or it's Mike it, Reno's uh... ass? It's Mike Reno's oh, ass. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, Mike Reno, the lead <laughs> nice, singer. It's his. Nice it's, it's his red. Reminisce. <laughs> it's his red leather ass with his fingers. You know, like man, good luck. I hope I get laid. His fingers are crossed. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. So. But you'll be watching like uh, Pitchfork, and I'll be at uh, intently watching Foreigner. It's the big farewell tour for Foreigner. Mm, yeah, I didn't know. That yeah, well, I think this already. is. I think this is the. I think this is probably the thirty eighth farewell tour. Like a lot of these yeah. bands, you know, you know how these bands are like. Yeah, it's the farewell tour. We won't be back again. Oh, of course. And then the following summer, it's like, yeah, it's the farewell tour part nine. You know, so. Yeah, they're like, never mind. Yeah, we're still here. Yeah, and I'm going with a group of people in their fifties, so we're going to be the old people going, goddamn foreigners, old. You know, we'll be sitting on the lawn, old. So anyway, you'll be yeah, at the young. Be you'll be at the, people. At, you'll be at the young <laughs> hipsters. You guys and all the young hipsters will be at Pitchfork, and me and all the people on, you know, Metamucil will be at. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll, we'll be at, at Tinley. So uh, outdoor concerts are happening. So anyway, uh, all right, cool. Well, that's that sounds like fun. Now, listen, the last time that we spoke, Esmeralda, mm-hmm. uh, you were about to go for uh, the jury duty. Yeah. And uh, what? So tell us about what happened. You were going to twenty six in California in the city. Yeah, yeah. So I luckily. So this is what I I found out. I didn't know this, but if you go to twenty six in California for jury duty, you are going to see a criminal case. Yes. Versus if you go downtown, those are civil cases. Yep. So I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because when so I got in fairly quickly. They called, they, they put you in groups, and I my group was called fairly quickly to go to a case, to a court case. And then from there, they, this big old group, they pick out, I don't know, like 20 people, I guess? They need mm-hmm. 14, I believe, or 12 or something like that? I don't know. Um, but they um, put you in the room, and then they ask you, you, you filled out ahead of time a little thing. You know, have you been to court? Have you been on jury duty? Are you a victim? Have you ever been a victim of a crime? Um, do you know lawyers, judges, anything like that? Cops? So they ask you all these questions, and then they ask you. I thought it was funny. They ask you, uh, "What do you like to do for fun?" <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, I know it's all part of like the look because the lawyers are there, both sides yeah. and the defendant. Yeah, I was like this is weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. But it's just, yeah, so they asked all the questions and things, and then in the end, I did not get picked. So luckily, I didn't have to stay for too wow. long. Wow, uh, that's, that's interesting, because you actually went a little further than some people do, because some people just sit there. 
you know, yeah, and not I even think... get not even get called into a room for questions. Sometimes I've yeah, gone to, I've gone no. to jury duty and just sat there all day, and then at the end of the day, they're like, "Oh, that's okay, go home." Yeah. So I was um, originally a standby juror, and I had to call gotcha. the day before to see if they needed me, and they were like, "Yep." <laughs> So I think they were looking for every. They're trying to find yeah, everybody. they were trying yeah. to fill the jury. They were trying to fill the jury. Yeah, no question about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, now can, you can you can't discuss the case. Do you know what the case was about? Did they tell you what the case was about? Um, or? yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I can. I'm not on it, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a well. It was from 2021, which I understand court cases yeah. take long, but it's always like interesting to think like, oh my god, they have to bring these witnesses and yeah. and like you have to essentially rehash this whole thing that happened a few years ago now yeah yeah and get everything correct which is daunting to me like i can't um but the case was someone it was a i guess it was attempted murder oh boy um because they shot like three people Wow. i think they're all okay um yeah i think they're all okay because i think they were witnesses as well so they're on the witness list because yeah they tell you everybody they're like these are the witnesses yeah. This is the defendant. These are the lawyers. Like, do you know any of them? The judge at one point, as he was questioning all the jurors, he there was one woman. She goes, "Do I know you?" Because she's, I guess, from she was from back of the yard, and her last name and and all this stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, she thought she knew her. She's like, "I don't know, maybe." <laughs> and she she's didn't like, get picked. I have a obviously. very Polish name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she did actually. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> because if there's like a con- might have they, been they ask you these questions because no, yeah, if, if they, there's they a conflict known of interest each other. Yeah. no yeah of course yeah, yeah um i hope that maybe because of my facial expression during the thing helped me out because <laughs> what there does was that a mean? few times what were you doing what were you t- well there was like like that same woman who um she was like do i know you like they asked so they asked you what where do you get your news and she just said Fox News. And there you go. Like, like there I rolled go. my eyes. Yep. Uh, yep. And I was right up front. So who knows? They might. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, the, the interesting thing is I have a, 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 I have a friend who uh, had been called for jury duty a couple of times. And it got to the point where it was like, look, I'm just going to pretend to be racist. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to pretend I mean, I'm going to. I should have <laughs> said because there's that one point where they're like, can you. um can you be sympathetic or can you be without sympathy bias um, or anything like that? And I'm kind of like, I guess (laughs) I I didn't say that, but in my head, I'm like, I mean, I could, I don't want to be. That's, that's, you know, like if you don't want jury duty and you get to the, cause uh, like I said, that you, you actually, boy, that's amazing that you actually went, you bypassed that first, like just waiting period and got called in right away. Because a lot of times I've gone and just sat there, didn't meet. And Mm -hmm. I, and then there have been times when I did get called in, uh, and be interviewed, you know, as part of the the group. Yeah. And uh, and and it gets to the point that they ask you a question: Can you be biased? No, I can't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> my friend yeah, there is was just one like, guy. <laughs> there was one guy who he said that when he was younger, he got jumped by some guys. Yeah. And then when the cops came, they arrested him. Right. Uh-huh. And then they chose. He he was like, and I was held for thirty two hours without food or my phone call. So then they're like, can you do this without by? He's like, I have a deep distrust of police. 
and I would. So I don't think he got picked. No, I he didn't. I, yeah, but that's what that's how my that's how my, that's what my friend always said. It's like, look, go in there and pretend to be racist. It'll only be ten minutes. Just pretend, yeah. pretend to know every cop in the world, or you know, what I mean? or or hate every yeah, cop. Or hate, I was quite just, amazed <laughs> by how many people on that on like the group knew lawyers, cops, judges. Yeah. Like people are like, my dad is a judge. My whatever is a judge. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, the only one I could think of was Colin has a friend who's in a, he worked, he's an attorney for an airline. I barely know the guy. (laughs) I know, I know a lot. I mean, I know, I know a lot of cops and I know a lot, and I actually do know a bunch of lawyers. So, um, and that's not even lying. That's not even padding it. You know, you know, but I like the people like my friend goes in there. I just like, like, I hate every race, every creed. I, you know what I mean? (laughs) I I, hate myself. Exactly. (laughs) I will, I will be, I will kill myself if I have to stay in a hotel. You know what I mean? Like you'll make up anything to get out of jury jury duty. Uh, But it's so, so uh, just one round of questions. And then Mm -hmm. were you, were, did, did they, did they have you all like leave as a group and then you found out that you weren't going to be called or did they tell you to leave? No, they called out the people who were going to be on the jury. They called them into another room where they got fed sandwiches. <laughs> oh, see, I knew that there were sandwiches. It's, remember we were talking about that. Last it was time? like one. It was like one. It was lunchtime right. around that time. And we right. were still getting questioned or whatever. So we didn't get to go get lunch or anything, which is fine because then we got, you know, whoever was left. And then they give you your check. So they're like, once you get your check, you can leave. Like, we don't need you anymore. Yeah. So what was the check for? How much? Uh, $35. Wow. That's gone Which up since not the bad. Last... No, no, it's that's not, not bad. It's not bad for the, the time I was there. I mean, if you're there till 4.30, that sucks. But Yeah. No, but if you're in there and you're just there for a couple hours and you get 35 bucks, you know. Um... Yeah, I was there for like three and a half hours. That's not bad. Thirty-five so, bucks. Yeah. Mm. I think the last time that I was the last time I was called in for jury duty and I got the check when I left, I think it was like eighteen bucks. That's how long it's been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that same thing. Yeah. So wow. Okay. Well, all right. So you didn't get chosen. Um. You know. Yeah. Boy, so oh boy. I, guess, I was. I don't know well, how much longer I I have till they try it again. <laughs> well, who knows, man? Uh, but now, but the other thing is, like, that would have been a really, like. I don't know, really unpleasant trial, right? I mean, like, hey, attempted murder. Yeah, because there was also, um, and then they asked this after the fact, or when they were still kind of like, oh, so they asked all all the jurors the questions, and when they were done, they all went into a room. The judge, the the lawyers, they all went into another room to, I guess, pick the, the jury. But they asked beforehand, the defense asked if anyone had any experience with domestic violence. And if that would would be a yeah. like a, a, an issue, and in my head I'm like, I have not, but it would. <laughs> yeah, I, but see, my friend would raise his hand and say, "I've done the beating and I've been beaten." So, uh, you know, it, <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten both sides. Uh, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Just to get my ass out of here. Yes, I have beaten up people and I've been beaten up. Yes, domestically. Yes, <laughs> anything to get out of it. So then they pulled those people in, and then they got sandwiches. You didn't, but you got a $35 check, so you could buy a sandwich. Yeah, I got to leave. Yeah, you got to leave. That's better. That's better than having a sandwich. That's better. Yeah. Well, but yeah, I I can't imagine, like, can you imagine being on, like, a jury for, like, months? Can you imagine that? Yeah, I think, so the last time I did get picked, and I think it was just a week or so. Oh, so you've and, served on a jury? Yeah, no, I served. Oh, oh, wait, time. what was that? What was that? What was it for? What was it like? Uh, it was for armed robbery. Okay. Um, 
And yeah, it was about a week, I think. Uh, now they did. Did they? Did, did you have to stay in a hotel and everything? No. 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 So it was you could go they home just and tell just you don't talk about not it. Not talk about it, right? <laughs> right. They're just like, just don't talk about it to anybody, or on social media, or anywhere. Yeah. Um. What did? Ha- what was the bummer about that? Was that I was working on the Johnny B show. I was working yeah, on the man. show, so what? I still had to go into work. Oh. I was still going in because I had to be there at nine thirty, and we started at at six. Like the show started at six, I was usually there at five. So it's like, oh, I can be here for the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So it just sucked because I was just I was depleted, having to. I bet. I bet. Go to work and then leave and then be there until like four thirty. But then like now have to do stuff. Yeah. Did, it was did the case turn bummer. out the way the way you wanted it, or were you part of the majority of the of the jury? Um, yeah, yeah, we voted him not guilty. Okay. I mean, I wasn't gonna, I'm like, I don't, it, again, it's years later. Yeah. Yep. Like, and, yeah, they claimed he had a gun, and they, and they didn't find the gun, and I'm like, okay, you can't find it? Nah. <laughs> like, right. I'm not putting some somebody away based off of years old testimony, and then right. the fact that you don't even have all this evidence? Forget that mess. Okay. I don't need that on my conscience. Was Pauly Shore in, on your jury? No, unfortunately. Oh, okay. All right, okay. That would have been a much... Uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Oh, she's wearing a, a shirt that says jury duty. Oh, hi, Carrie. No, hi. is it hi, an original Russell, from the movie? I from the love Nick's yeah, show. Yeah, it's got Pauly Shore on it. Uh, so It's, it's a the, promo it's, shirt? It's a me. promo shirt for jury duty. <laughs> The, the fantastic nice. Polly Shore movie. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you didn't get picked, and it uh, and it was only one day. You got 35 bucks for three hours of just uh, yeah taking a little time out. No, okay, all right, and uh, yeah, but I just think it's funny, and, and, like you know, like the you know, like all that time. Whenever I would talk to my friend, he'd be like, "Yeah, just pretend to pretend to be racist and that you hate cops or you love cops or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> so that's that's the sound advice. Yeah, so uh, jury duty. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad I'm glad that you didn't have to get stuck uh, hearing depressing testimony about people getting abused for days. Yeah, time. I mean, like, yep. thank God. <laughs> there was Jeez. twelve witnesses too. I was like, oh, oh God, man, a lot of people. Oh, that's that's a. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah! Uh, you don't need that. Wow. All right. Hey, uh, you know, uh, we're only uh, two weeks away from flashback, Esmeralda. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be mm-hmm. fun, and um. You and I will be up on stage doing this podcast live. Um, I have a bunch of T-shirts, Nick D uh, podcast T-shirts that we're going to be giving away, and I think passes to Very a movie nice. that we're going to be giving away. Um, I'm going to show the trailer of a movie that I really love um, mm. right before we start talking um, because it doesn't come out until the middle of August, so it comes out like two weeks after Flashback. It's a movie called Birth mm-hmm. Rebirth. It's called Birth Rebirth. So I'm just going to show the trailer to the Nick D fans and, uh, and tell everybody how great it is because it's a great horror movie, best horror movie of the year. Um, Very so we'll, cool. we'll do that. We've got a surprise guest. There's a guy from uh, this suburb who is most no. likely going to join us on stage. Who could it be? I don't know. I don't know. But if you Berwin. hear I think you might get an idea. Uh, so get your tickets now. Our live podcast is Saturday afternoon, August 5th at 1230 in the big ballroom at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, flashbackweekend.com. Call for your tickets. Call for your reservations. Unbelievable schedule, including uh, a bunch of celebrities and actors and actresses and directors, uh, a Scream reunion, a Terrifier 1 and Terrifier 2 reunion, John Carpenter's Christine, 
uh, reunion. A whole bunch of other really great uh, horror people are there. Joe Bob Briggs and Sven Gulli on the same stage. By the way, Esmeralda, that's Friday night, and I get to MC that. That's very cool. I'm so excited. And then Saturday is the big costume contest where Sven uh, is the host, and you get to see all these crazy people in their crazy costumes. It's always my favorite part of the of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the there's a creativity big creativity is astounding. It's, it's amazing. You were there last year to see uh, mm-hmm. to see that the girl who wore the midsummer uh, uh, costume with the flowers. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's the best costume I've ever seen. Only time I've ever taken a picture with some of the with with a costumed uh, person yeah. <laughs> was her because I love that movie so much, and it was the best costume. I, my God, it was amazing. Um, and then uh, there's uh, there's a there's parties every night. Uh, Alan Howarth, who I interviewed just on the the previous episode of this podcast, Alan Howarth, who co-composed music with John Carpenter, he's doing a live concert. I talked to him; he was amazing. So it's going to be a great weekend, and you and I will be up on stage, Esmeralda. It'll be a blast. We're going to talk about scary stuff and non-scary stuff, and It'll be cool. Very good. So, it'll be fun. So everybody come on out. Say hi to me. Say hi to Esmeralda. We'll meet. We'll hang out. Take pictures. We'll all do all kinds of cool stuff. And you'll be a part of the live podcast recording. It's Saturday afternoon, August 5th, part of Flashback Weekend uh, at 1230. So get your tickets now at flashbackweekend.com. So that should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So um, All right. Uh, hey, by the way, I got a couple of emails here, Esmeralda, that, mm-hmm. I, I, that, mm-hmm. in, that involved conversations that you and I have had. And here's a really funny one. Anthony sends this. And you remember when we were talking about the new uh, Threads app? Oh yeah. The new mm-hmm. social, the new social media app. It's like Zuckerberg's answer to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's Threads, and it launched a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about it. And I was talking about how the first thing that popped into my head when I heard that it was called Threads was this horrifying movie from England. Right. Uh, about nuclear war, speaking of which, Oppenheimer, uh, which we just reviewed. Um, uh, and in, it's this movie called Threads. And the first thing I heard of, whenever I hear the word threads or something is called threads, I immediately think of this absolutely nightmare-inducing <laughs> British TV movie from 1984 called Threads, which, mm-hmm. makes, which makes the American TV movie The Day After look like Romper Room. Like, seriously, it's <laughs> yeah. horrifying. So we were talking about that. And so here's Anthony's email. This is very funny, Esmeralda. I think you're going to get a kick mm-hmm. out of this because it involves Malort. So I think uh, <laughs> I think you'll get a kick out of this because you know what Malort is. You had to pour it a few mm-hmm. times, I think. Um, you and Esmeralda, you and Esmeralda, yeah, okay, I can speak. What the fuck? What the hell is, <laughs> what the hell is happening here? Um, all right. You and Esmeralda recently discussed the 1984 neorealistic apocalypse masterpiece, Threads. Wow, that's a great description. (laughs) (laughs) Threads is on my list of the top five most horrifying films ever made. Its enduring relevance is its most frightening virtue. God, Tony's all, Anthony's all smart and shit. Goodness. (laughs) Quite the wordsmith. Yeah. Earlier this year, a film fanatic friend of mine bemoaned macabre movies, claiming that nothing scares her anymore. So I pulled my DVD copy of Threads off the shelf, and I loaned it to her. Two days later, I received a seemingly random text that turned into the following dialogue. Friend says, are you familiar with Malort? Me. Yeah, I know that I puked it up the morning after my 25th birthday. People kept buying it for me at the bar. Beyond that, nada. Why? My friend says, Malort is very infamous for tasting terrible. It actually gets worse and worse tasting even after you've swallowed it. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with, with this, uh, she says. 
So I watched Threads this morning, and at first I was like, I don't know if I even want to try this. And then I was like, okay, I'm very uncomfortable, but I still need to give it a taste. And then I said, and you liked it? And then my friend said, hours later, I still can't get the goddamn thing out of my craw. It's the fucking malort of horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) The the more I recall, uh, the more I feel worse and worse. I thought it was just going to be a shitty movie about people's faces melting off. Instead, I'm stuck with an aftertaste that makes malort taste like Kool-Aid. So yeah, thanks you fucking wow. jag. Thanks you fucking jag off. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to all the nightmares. <laughs> well, her uh, her her newfound uh, scared dumb. Yeah, scared. <laughs> saying, nothing scares her. Well, there yeah. you go. Well, he scared you. Successful. He was successful in his quest. But I just love the fact that she thought it was the malort of horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> You know, by the way, really weird aside here, Esmeralda, there's this show on the Game Show Network called Masterminds. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. it? Uh, no, I have not. Brooke, Brooke Burke is the host, and what it is is like three regular people take on these three really smart people in trivia. Mm-hmm. And so they like answer the same questions, and if you know, you, your, your idea is to beat the masterminds. There's three of them. One of them right. is, the, is that Jagoff, uh, what's his name, Ken uh, Jennings is one of them. Oh, okay. Uh, and the Jagoff from The Chase, the, the, the beast guy, the British guy, he's, on, he's also on it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the idea is that you are supposed to answer trivia questions and try to outsmart the masterminds. Right. So one of the questions was, what... Uh, what drink? What what uh, what wine? What 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 wine from this from a certain part of the world uh, is named after blah 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 or something? Mm-hmm. So the guy, the contestant, wrote Malort, like he wrote Malort. <laughs> now I'm I'm assuming okay. I'm assuming he meant Merlot. Okay, I'm assuming he right. meant Merlot, but he wrote yeah. fucking Malort. And so when I yeah. saw, like when I saw that, I was like, "What is this guy? Is this guy from Chicago?" And he was from Chicago. The guy was from Chicago. I was from Didn't Chicago. He, wow. And so what, like so I just thought it was hilarious that Brooke Burke, and in this L.A. studio, goes, "And your answer is, oh, Malort." Like she says, Malort. I'm like, <laughs> "What the hell is happening?" And you know, it's it, it's like you know when you answer uh, the final Jeopardy question and you write it out in your handwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, the answer or your, you know, whatever. That's what this is. You write it down and then it's on your panel in front of you on the, on the, on the pedestal. So right in front of him in his handwriting, right in front of him on the giant screen says Malort. And I'm like, what the hell is, what is this? <laughs> and of course it was wrong and it wasn't even Merlot. It was something else. It was like Risling or something. Right. Um, but like he wrote Malort and I, and, and I remember <laughs> Now, did they ask him like the... no she just was like i you know she did not They're go like no not it <laughs> no no but the, the thing was like i guess it wasn't what because i guess as a game show host you're not supposed to go what the fuck kind of answer is it you know what i mean you're not supposed to question the answer you just kind of yeah. go no i'm sorry that's wrong you don't like mock them but i would have immediately gone what are you what are you talking about lord what so anyway but i just found that endlessly amusing and the thing was i was in the bathroom brushing my teeth while this was on mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm brushing my teeth and she goes, okay, well, and, and I heard the question. The question was what why, what form of wine, blah, 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 blah. And I'm brushing my teeth and she goes, okay, contestant number one, what's your answer? And he goes, Malort. And I went, <laughs> and I, I spit up my tooth and I run into the, into the living room with, you know, like toothpaste in my mouth and a toothbrush in my hand. 
And I'm like, Malort? And I'm watching it like, what the fuck? And then I saw that he wrote Malort, and I couldn't believe it. I just I ran out dripping toothpaste all over my shirt so I could see this guy say Malort. <laughs> anyway. So uh, so it, it was not the correct answer, by the way, just so you know. Right. No, I'm... Mm. Can you imagine somebody asking a question about Malort on a on like a game show? I mean, it's very specific. It is very city specific. So, I mean, that would be a really good question because it would stump a lot. It would of stump people. a lot of people. Yeah, but I just could not believe out of nowhere this dude writes Malort. I was like, okay, uh, all right. Well, the fact that he just misspelled it. I think he yeah I'm assuming I think, Merlot. I think he meant Merlot. Yeah. He had to have meant Merlot. It was a wine it was a wine question. Yeah. Uh well maybe he just knows nothing about wine. Yeah. And or just likes Malort. I don't know. And I know those kind of people. I know those kind of people. Man, I was drinking Malort back in the early nineties, man, before everybody started drinking it. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I remember the first time I ever drank it was at Simon's. Like in like nineteen ninety four or ninety three mm-hmm. or ninety four. And the, the, the bottle had dust on it. Like, it literally had dust on it. And that now it's the hippest thing. You know, everybody drinks Malort in Chicago. It's like the hippest thing in the world. But, man, 25 years ago, it was not. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so Threads is the Malort of horror movies, in case you were wondering. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good analogy there. It is. It is. It's great. And and uh, Anthony, you know, he wrote that email knowing that you and I were familiar with Malort. Have you had Malort? Yeah. yeah. You have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have. Now, what was your what, what's your experience with Malort? Because uh, uh, you know the the idea is that the first time you taste it, it's disgusting. The second time you taste it, it's disgusting. And the third time, you're like, "That's fine, and I can do it all night." Um, I'm actually uh, the first time I had it was on Johnny's show. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> he paid me twenty dollars to take a shot of Malort <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was very early. <laughs> yeah, and so your response? Um, it was disgusting. It tasted yeah. like melting plastic. Yeah, it was very smooth, and then you get that aftertaste, and it, to me, yeah. it tasted like melting plastic. Yeah, for me, I've often described it as uh, pain. Um, the taste as pain, mm-hmm. piss, and grapefruit, and hot grapefruit. Oh, so you've had piss? Yeah, my own. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That just reminds me of that. Just reminds me of uh, of the movie Threesome, which I adore, and everybody. Really doesn't. Have you seen Threesome? I have not. No. Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, Stephen Baldwin, and Josh Charles. It's a great movie. And uh, Stephen Baldwin plays a real fucking lunkhead. Uh, and they're talking about blowjobs or something in the movie at some point. And 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 they're and like semen doesn't taste that bad. Uh, uh, Stephen Baldwin says semen doesn't taste that bad. And Laura Flynn Boyle's like, well, whose semen have you tasted? He goes, my own. Like it was a normal. <laughs> it was a normal. My own. <laughs> I love that movie. If you've never seen Threesome, you should check it out. It's a great movie. Great movie. And by the way, uh, Tears for Fear song opens the credits on that movie. Oh. So, but anyway, uh, so yeah, that's how I described it. And then, um, but after, after like, and I hated it the first couple of times, but after the third shot, it became my shot of choice. Right. I used to drink it all the time. So anyway, all right. Well, that's Malort. Okay. Uh, All right. Another quick uh, email, Esmeralda. Mm -hmm. James in Nashville, formerly of Mount Prospect, Mm -hmm. sent uh, an email. And James from uh, 
in Nashville, formerly of Mount Prospect, says, Nick, I've been loving hearing you on the podcast this past year and a half. I hadn't had a chance to listen regularly uh, for a few years prior because I got married and my wife won't let me listen to radio in the bed. For a few years okay. prior. Well, that's okay because I was fired in twenty I was fired in twenty twenty, so I don't think you missed much, James. Um hearing about young Paisley's love for Michael McDonald. Remember the story about the young girl, the eleven uh, year old girl who was in love with Michael McDonald. And for those of you who are not familiar with Michael McDonald. Anyway, that's my that's my imitation of him. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, hearing about young Paisley's love for Michael McDonald put a smile on my face. Her asking if she was, if, uh, uh, was friends with Christopher Cross popped into my head the famous SETV sketch of Michael McDonald's record, Michael McDonald recording background vocals for Ride Like a Wind. Ride Like the Wind. Yeah. I can't watch yeah. it without <laughs> laughing out loud. You remember that sketch? Yeah. Yeah. It's classic. Rick Moranis as, uh, Michael McDonald. Because he's going, he's, he's basically, um, Dropping in and doing voiceovers for a bunch of stuff, like driving yeah. his car, and then he just runs into a studio, puts on the headphones, goes, yeah, and then runs out and then leaves. <laughs> and then and that's when my that's when uh, uh, Rick Moranis also uh, like talks like that too. Okay, guys, see you later. And then he runs. <laughs> he gets paid the big money for those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he runs out. Okay, man, see you. Gotta go. Um. It says, keep up the great work. I love both thing, ha- uh, both having the Nick D uh, podcast and uh, that show hasn't been funny in years podcasts uh, uh, that I listen to. Well, thank you, James. Um, so I appreciate that. But anyway, uh, Christopher Cross. And I do love the fact that she did, in fact, like say, are you best friends with Christopher Cross? That's still my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. It would have been interesting if he, had, he would have been like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like him anymore. We don't talk. <laughs> Just opens up to this little girl, and she's like, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, we've had some problems. So, anyway. <laughs> anyway, all right. So those are a, a little catch-up on the uh, on some of the emails that we've gotten. So we were talking about bad fast food items. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did get some, uh, some, um, some feedback about that cheese sandwich that they're selling. In. Right. Uh, which was the 20, it's 20 slices of cheese, correct? 20 slices of cheese? Yeah. American cheese. So right. it's like Kraft American cheese. So it's that neon yellow, right? orangey stuff. And it's it's being sold in uh, Thailand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that got us talking about bad fast food items. And uh, so what we talked about... Um, a little bit was the uh, Arby's chicken slider, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the uh, the Burger King. Uh, well, you were talking about how much you don't like the chicken fries at Burger King. Right, I am not a fan of the chicken fries. Yeah, they're a little weird. It's a little weird. Uh, is there anything else? And then we were talking about Carl's Juniors has chicken stars. Right, and and on the list they're considered terrible. Yeah. Which, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I've never tried them because we. Yeah, I've never no, had them either. I mean, they're just nuggets, but in the shape of stars. Right? How bad could they be? No, I mean they can't be any different than any of the other processed chicken stuff. I mean, you know, like we were talking about before, was like you got all these chicken nuggets, nuggets that are shaped like clowns and dinosaurs and stuff for kids. Mm-hmm. Those are just stars. So they, I mean, they can't be any worse than the other stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. What's the worst fast food? Can you recall the worst fast food item? That you've that you've had, or are there ones that stand out for the you? The chicken like, fries. 
The chicken fries are the worst. Yeah, okay. the Burger King chicken fries. Yeah, okay. You know the worst fast food uh, establishment? I haven't been there in a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. But like maybe, I don't know, eight, nine, like 10 years ago, there is a combo KFC Taco Bell at the corner of Irving in California. Mm-hmm. The worst fast food establishment. I went in there one time. Oof. Went in there one time, and it's a combo. So like you've got people back there in their KFC uniforms and their Taco Bell uniforms all back there. It seems like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a melding of two weird worlds. And I went in there, and uh, I walk up to the Taco Bell side, and she's like, I just want to let you know that we are completely out of lettuce and taco shells. <laughs> and I went, why are you open? Why? What? What? <laughs> What the you would f- think that they would have just a surplus of those. You would think, you know, right? Always on hand. It's called like Taco you Bell. You, you, you would think Taco Bell would have fucking taco shells, but they were like, no, we're out of taco shells and lettuce. Damn. <laughs> all right, so give me a burrito. All Who right? just I, bought out all the taco shells and lettuce? No idea. But then I went there for like, uh, uh, so I went, I was like, all right. And, I, and again, the, the service there is terrible. The food, the quality was like a crap. So I was like, all right, next time I go there, I, I kept going back because I'm a fucking idiot. But uh, next time I, I go there, I ordered from the KFC side. Mm-hmm. And I got one of those f- uh, famous flavor bowls, you know, where they, oh, yeah. they yeah, jam yeah. all the shit into the mashed potatoes. Like everything is all thrown into one bowl. Mm-hmm. Well, I went there and I, and I ordered one of those because I love those things. And I sat down, I took a spoonful of it, and it, it must have been sitting in the, in the heating bin for like an hour and a half. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was disgusting. And, I, and, and it's already a disgusting food product because they just take everything and throw it into one bowl. <laughs> so it's like, just throw all this shit in a bucket and I'll eat it. And I love the flavor bowl. I think it's great. Yeah. But like it was sitting there and I brought it back. I'm like, just give me my money back. And they're like, would you like something else? No, I don't want any food from this establishment anymore. <laughs> I'm just not going to eat here ever again. And have you? Uh, no, because that was the place I went to before. Okay, I, that was the okay. place I went to before or after I went to Ricochet's and got drunk. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't very far from there, and it was on my way home, mm-hmm. so I'd be like, "I'm gonna get out of the lead here." So yeah, but anyway, but that that was the those that was the worst establishment because some some you know places are worse than others. Like you, can, I mean, they're supposed to be the right. same, but some Burger King franchises are worse than other Burger King franchises. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, did you ever work in a fast food place? No, you never have, have you? I did not know. No, fun. I worked at I worked at McDonald's for a while, so yeah. Uh, all right, Chipotle. Have you ever had their queso blanco? No, I usually stick to a burrito bowl, and that's it. Yeah, I might get some guac on the side with chips, but I've never ventured into the into the other stuff. Now, queso blanco for people who might not know, what is queso blanco? White cheese. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Pretty much it. Well, people who might not know, I mean, they might not know what it is, uh, but it's like, so I, I've never had it. I, uh, I, I, I mean, I've had it, not from, <laughs> not from, not from Chipotle. I've had queso blanco elsewhere, but not from Chipotle. So I, I but they say it's bad. Right. Um, I mean, who knows how it like, well, cause like Chipotle makes everything back there for the most they part. They do. I mean, most of the, most so of the stuff I'm curious stuff is, if this comes like in a bag. Just already squeeze into the heating container or whatever. Yeah. Well, they pride themselves. Doesn't Chipotle kind of pride themselves on uh, having fresh ingredients and making it right in front mm-hmm. of your eyes? Like they have yeah, grills back so there. Yeah, so maybe, get... who knows? Maybe, 
Maybe whoever made this list just had a bad batch of bad Rio Blanco. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, they do describe it, though, here. Yeah. Um, what is it? Wait, hold on a second. Did I lose it? Um, uh, it's a revamped recipe, and it's significantly better than the old yellow queso that they used to sell that was famously awful. Oh, I don't remember mm. that at all. Um, it's still Chipotle's worst menu item. It's garlicky, garlic, garlicky, oniony, and a ni- and a nice blend of chili peppers that provide the heat with some subtle fruitiness, and it just doesn't taste all that cheesy. Mm. It, ca- it claims to concerning. Considering it's cheese. cheese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it claims that it's made with a blend of white cheddar and Monterey Jack cheese, but you can't really taste any of the nutty quality of the Monterey and none of the distinct sharpness of cheddar. The onion heavily dominates the flavor. Mm. What's with the all with all the onions? Everything it touches, uh, the guacamole, <laughs> onion, fajitas, onion. They put onions uh, on the fuck in the fucking corn. For God's sake, Chipotle, chill out with the onion is what they say. Mm-hmm. So onion is in everything at Chipotle. Yeah, I. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they're angry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, guac has onions. Fajitas mm-hmm. have onions. Like I would be mad if there's no onions in fajitas. <laughs> it's true. No, you're absolutely right. It's an essential. It's an essential item for for. Uh... It's kind of in almost everything. Like, you know, it's kind of used as a base. So I'm just like, you're real mad at onions. Maybe maybe they're <laughs> mad because some of the onions are like raw. Maybe they're not cooked, and that's I their guess? complaint. I guess. I mean, when you sweat the onions out, it's a little bit different than just having chopped raw onion in something. Right. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. Yeah, they're real mad about onions. Yeah. I've never really I like had a, onions. I, I hear fine. <laughs> I like onions, too. I've always, you know, like, here's the thing. I don't understand because I know that I've read a lot of things and a lot of things on social media and, 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 and through reputation that for some reason, Chipotle's got a shitty reputation. I like Chipotle. Is it wrong that I like Chipotle? I like Um, them. I mean, yeah, I don't, I, so I don't. I take it how um, I consider, like, Americanized Chinese food. Like, yeah. I don't consider yeah, yeah. that. I mean, I wouldn't be like, let's go get Mexican food and then uh, go to Chipotle. Of course. Of I'd course. be like, yeah. but I would like a burrito. Like, to me, the word, like the food they have, I don't consider it a genre of anything. I yeah. know it's supposed to be Mexican, but I'm like, that's not Mexican food. Right. But it's still food. It's still right. just like some rice and beans and right. some meat. I'm like, that's pretty tasty. Put some hot sauce on it. I will eat it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's obviously clearly not genuine Mexican food. And obviously anybody who thinks Taco Bell is genuine Mexican food is fucking drunk. I mean, that's, you know, right. that's not even remotely Mexican food. Uh, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I love Taco Bell, but that is not genuine Mexican food. And, right. and I mean, I would say that Chipotle also is not, but it's closer <laughs> than Taco Bell. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's just rice. And, like when people freak out, I'm like, it's just some rice and beans. Yeah, and I don't know what. On a thing. I know, just I don't know. People calm bitch, down. People bitch about <laughs> Chipotle all the time. When I, when, when I was working with the Factory Theater all the time and we were on Elston, mm-hmm. there's the one there at Addison and Elston uh, where, where the jewel is. Yeah. There's a Chipotle right there. I used to go there all the time. 
to go there all the time. You know, like before a rehearsal or after a rehearsal or something, I ate there all the time when, when I was working uh, over at the over at the factory. It was either that or White Castle, which was right across the street. Yeah, yeah. So I but, yeah, I don't I don't know why people have such anger toward Chipotle. I, I mean, I don't, I, when I don't mind it. I'm like, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's no, fine. It's nothing amazing. It's nothing great, but it's I'm right. gonna eat there. <laughs> it's funny because you know you know uh, you know our mutual friend Monica Eng. Mm-hmm. Uh, she comes from a family that used to run Chinese restaurants. Yeah. But but like the kind of Chinese restaurants, American Chinese restaurants, you know? Right. Like with shit like Egg Fu Young, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Chop Suey. That's not Chinese cuisine. <laughs> it's not. And yet Monica loves that stuff. You know, like yeah. she's like, I, I want to make it clear that it's not Chinese food. It is not Chinese right. cuisine by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know who invented chop suey or where the hell Egg Fu Young came from, but that's not genuine Chinese food, but it's good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they all have their place. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just when you start considering, when you start like trying to be like, oh, yes, this is authentic. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I don't no. Know. It's just, no. <laughs> no. I mean, I like, you know what I mean? I like the, I like the, I like Chipotle. I like the whole process of walking up and going, yes, I'd like this, put some of that in it. You know what I mean? I like that whole thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, I like it and it's fine. It's, it's good. It's quick. You're in, you eat. It's fine. I don't know why people bitch about it. There's so many other uh, horrible fast food restaurant places, but man, Chipotle is always consistently bitched about by people. I don't know, man. Yeah. Um. I always find it funny when people, like certain people just like turn their nose up to it. And it's like, okay, well then don't eat there. Like no one's forcing you to go to Chipotle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are I don't a lot need of to other hear places. how much you don't like it. Ooh, like, okay, yeah. get off your fucking high horse. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to go eat there. So, yeah. So fuck off. I'm <laughs> going later. to Chipotle, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So Chipotle gets a bum rap, but I, I will say this, if they're not, I will say this though. If there's an overabundance of raw onion, I might have a little issue. I'm, I don't mind onion. I like onion yeah. raw. I like onion cooked. Yeah, I do too. But I guess I can understand why people would be like, hey, what the hell? It's not like onion? they're just like, would you like this pile of raw onions? Like they-, <laughs> <laughs> I say, they, just give you, they just give you a tortilla with like a pound of raw onion. Here you go. Yeah. Nothing else. That's it. No, no. <laughs> Just, just, so then maybe I'd be like, I don't know about that. Just a whole pile. I don't know about this uh, a tortilla that's just uh, just filled with it's onions. A sprinkling? And... No, it's no. a pile. <laughs> Two pounds of raw chopped onions in a tortilla. Mm. That's our that's our new. I think I'll pass, but thank you. <laughs> now what about this? Dairy Queen's pretzel sticks with zesty queso. Now that sounds disgusting. I've never eaten food food at Dairy Queen. I've only had ice cream. I've oh, never okay. gone in and thought, I'm going to go get a burger at Dairy Queen. I have. And you know what? The burgers at Dairy Queen are actually pretty good. I've had them. They're not bad. Mm. And uh, my parents live uh, right down. Well, there's a there's a McDonald's. The McDonald's that I used to work at, you know, when I was uh, having an affair with my 22-year-old manager, which mm-hmm. I always bring up because I know that you're <laughs> – because I love your reaction all the time when I bring that up. Because you're like, oh, God, every time I bring it up. But anyway, there was a, a, a Dairy Queen right next, and there still is a Dairy Queen right, right next to that uh, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It was almost as if we shared a parking lot. So, you know, McDonald's had, when I was working there, we had the Sundays, like a couple of the Sundays, there was the, the fudge and the caramel one. Yeah. And milkshakes, and that was it. Um, but people would all, you know, we would even go, like we would, we would walk across the parking lot to go to Dairy Queen to get ice cream. But I had burgers and stuff from there. And they're not bad. Mm, okay. They're not bad. 
And I remember I was starving one night. I was at uh, Music Box mm-hmm. Theater. And I, I guess I was seeing like three or four movies or something like that. I was starving. And I went to Dairy Queen. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get a burger at Dairy Queen. I went to Bear- Dairy Queen. I just want people to know that if you're going to go to the to the Dairy Queen on Southport, right uh, north of uh, of the Music Box on Southport, Mm-hmm. They don't have a menu. They don't have a food menu. So, oh, okay. yeah. So those of you who are like want a burger, or you want you know perhaps the pretzel sticks with zesty queso, um, you can't get it at that particular uh, Dairy Queen on Southport. You can only get ice cream. And I didn't know that, and I was like starving to death. So, um, ice cream it is. It is. Uh, yeah. So I just had some ice cream. So anyway, but yeah, pretzel sticks with zesty queso. I would not go to Dairy Queen. For queso, I mean, if, if yeah, people were, if people were having issues, really. I mean, Chipotle, I can kind of understand. Like, yeah, I can understand why queso is on the menu there. But why the fuck mm-hmm. is queso on the menu at, <laughs> at Dairy Queen? Yeah, there, there's that too. It's like sometimes you just have to decide. No, don't. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's not try that. <laughs> yeah. Who and who would order that? I mean, at Dairy, like, I, yeah, this you know what? Person I mean? who made this list. <laughs> Yeah, like you look in, the, you look at the menu and go, yeah, I think I'm at Dairy Queen. I think I'll opt for the queso. I think, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the pretzels and queso here at Dairy yeah, Queen. Yeah, it's it's a thing of just like you see that and you go, mm, I don't, that's probably not gonna be good. Yeah, <laughs> you already know, you can sense it. Yeah. Oh God. All right. And then uh, the KFC mac and cheese. I've had the KFC mac and cheese. I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I um honestly think these people are a bit. <laughs> up their butt just because like they're talking they're talking about the Popeye's coleslaw like it's the they're just I think they just had bad coleslaw yeah like they just that batch whatever for oh, whatever Popeye's reason. coleslaw is on this list yeah Popeye's coleslaw is good what the what well here, so they say that they that this coleslaw and they they say it's vile what I'm like Jesus it's sour, and quite frankly, it smells spoiled. I think you literally had spoiled coleslaw. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I because they were like, I had to throw it away. It was disgusting. I honestly All think right. you got a that bad batch of coleslaw. Bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got a bad batch of coleslaw at a bad, uh, uh, uh at a bad Popeyes location. Yeah, because I recently had the Popeyes coleslaw, and it's. It's not bad. It's fine. I've had Popeye's coleslaw many times. It's, it's good. I, 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 wow. I, the okay. The fact that they're just like I had to. I gagged and threw it away. It's okay. I think it was bad. I think you're. I, I think Esmeralda. I think your estimation of them having it up their butts is correct. I think that's. <laughs> I think that technical description is correct. Yeah. I just hate when people they're just like, oh, that was so gross because of this. I'm like, no. Yeah. Well, I think because it was literally not good. It was, right. Boiled or something. Yeah, you were at the you were at a bad franchise. Is basically maybe try a different one. Jesus Christ! All right. Well, there are many more here uh, uh, to to uh, to talk about, but uh, I guess uh, of everything we've talked about today, I believe the Dairy Queen queso is the most questionable. That would be that would be. Yeah. Yeah. I. Hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, they right. got melting things back there, but. <laughs> right. I don't oh, know how God. good it would be. Well, listen. Have a great time at Pitchfork. Thank you. Have uh, a enjoy- good time at Loverboy. Yeah, man, Loverboy. No, Foreigners headlining, man. Yeah, man, Foreigners. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's the big farewell tour, Esmeralda. It's the 12th farewell tour of the year. Oh. Uh, so, 
So we'll see. And we can, we can report on that and on I'm sure Tuesday. we'll have a 13th one. Uh, exactly. Before the year is up. No question about it. So you can tell us all about Pitchfork, and I'll tell you all about the old people at uh, Tinley Park. Okay. All right, cool. Well, you have a great weekend. Coming up on uh, the next episode, Dan Feinberg will join us for more TV talk, and we will talk a little bit more uh, um, about not only the writer's strike, but since the last time we talked, the actors went on strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have some fun with that as well. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. My thanks to uh, Jason Skaggs for doing all the music and the sounds and the themes. My thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Be a sponsor. Advertise with us. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Uh, leave us a voicemail. Oh, God, I forgot to do the <laughs> megaphone message again. Oh, my God. Wow. Man, this is like the fourth <laughs> time in a row. Uh, but keep them coming. Voicemail, megaphone, whatever you want. 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, check us out next time time on uh, Radio Misfits on the Nick D Podcast. So thanks, everybody. 